Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Windham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Windham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. The elections are over and it's the start of the new 2023 Connecticut Legislative Session. We hear from Governor Lamont and his State of the State Address and from two Eastern Connecticut legislators about some of their priorities and tasks this year. Plus we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. January 4th saw the beginning of the new 2023 Connecticut legislative session, and with pomp and pageantry, Governor Lamont was sworn back into office for his second term as the 89th governor of the state, and we also saw a new secretary of the state, a new comptroller, and a new state treasurer also take office. So what will 2023 look like from a political point of view? In this episode of Connecticut East This Week, you'll hear Governor Lamont's State of the State speech to the Joint General Assembly. And we also spoke to Greg Howard, Republican State Representative for the 43rd District, and Kathy Austin, Democrat State Senator for the 19th District. We start with Governor Lamont. Mr. President, Mr. Speaker, Senator Kelly, Representative Candelora, Lieutenant Governor Bysowitz, Members of the General Assembly, thank you for inviting me back to the room where it happens four years later and what a four years it has been. All right, every election gives us a fresh start, starting with 36 new legislators. We have a freshly admitted Secretary of State, Thomas. We have our first millennial constitutional officers, Controller Scanlon and Treasurer Russell. Unlike Washington, we have a Speaker of the House, Speaker of the House Ritters at the ripe old age of 40. So, not to worry, Kevin and Marty and I are hanging around, chaperone this party just a little bit longer. All right, thanks for the birthday greetings. I did turn 69 yesterday. All right, so time marches on. (laughs) Feel like I better hurry up. Maybe I'm a little less guarded, a little more blunt. And I'm feeling a little more urgency to get the yes. Also tell you, getting older is kind of liberating. You know, and I don't want you guys to have to wait a generation until you feel equally liberated. Look, when I was, when I turned 18, Richard Nixon was president. My friends and I were listening to the transistor radio, the lottery, who's going to get drafted off to Vietnam. And, um, I have been a Democrat ever since. But even in public life, we're so much more than our party affiliation. My defining professional experience was starting a telecom company, operating that, watching my amazing wife um, invest in great entrepreneurs. So I'm a proud husband, I'm a very proud dad, and sort of an up and down Yankees fan. So I want you all to remember This is a citizen legislature. And I get it, the Republicans are generally over here and the Democrats are over there and you have caucuses and you have leaders. 
But you're also much more than that. You're bringing different experiences and backgrounds to the table, and we're all much better for it. You know, perhaps you ran for office because you wanted to fix something that ticked you off. Maybe you were a teacher or a coach or business, labor, community volunteer. I don't know what inspired you, but I urge you at the end of that hearing, grab a beer or a cup of coffee with that member to your left or right. See what you have in common and listen for what you don't have in common. Or maybe you're here because you're just proud to be an American citizen serving in our democracy. What's the matter with that? We have four new legislators who were not born in the United States of America. Senator M.D. Rahman from Bangladesh. Where's M.D.? There you are, an amazing entrepreneur. Joe Hoxha from Albania. There you are. Hey, Joe, tell Dua Lipa how cool Connecticut is, will you? Hector Arzano from Argentina. Rachel Khanna from France. Their neighbors in Greenwich and little France, little Argentina. I'd love to hear those World Cup squabbles as they do the long commute up to Hartford. But more importantly, whether you're born in Argentina or France or Bangladesh or Albania, thank you for making Connecticut your home. And that's not woke, that's America. While I'm at it, I want to give a special shout out to Sarah. She's a student at Gateway Community College. She hails from Afghanistan, where the Taliban no longer allow girls to go to college. Sarah, Gateway Community, if the Taliban doesn't welcome you back to Afghanistan, you always have a home right here in Connecticut. These are Connecticut values. These are Connecticut values. All right, everybody together. Let's show how much we can get done by working together, demonstrating how our differences is what brings us together, not tears us apart. All right, so four years ago, the elephant in the room was, quote, a permanent fiscal crisis. Remember that? At the time, okay, I got a little riled up, but I said, let's fix the damn budget once and for all. In that first year, we didn't permanently fix it but we made a significant first step together towards fixing it. We delivered a balanced budget on time without relying on the tax increases, which had become the historic norm. But just as we were beginning to feel that momentum, COVID hit, and it hit our region hard. I love uh, John Lennon, and I know he's saying imagine. He also said, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. Life was what happens while you're busy making other plans. And nobody had a plan for COVID. I knew what I didn't know, and I knew how to reach out to people who did. We reached out to the hospitals, the epidemiologists, business, labor, faith leaders, asking how can we keep our communities safe, and how can we get our economy open safely? And I want to say special thanks to each and every one of you. You have such credibility in your communities. You helped make sure that we were all speaking with one voice, that we rode together, rowing in the same direction. And I really believe that that helped Connecticut heal and heal faster. So in those early months, government was all about lifelines and rescue operations, be it masks or 
tests or more cash assistance for the unemployed or for essential workers or for families with kids, plus direct payments to keep our small businesses open. Well, three years later, I still worry like heck about COVID, but I worry even more that we will lose the opportunity as a state and as a country to lift families up. So the next four years should focus more on recovery and less on rescue, less need for lifelines and more focus on ladders. Keep our economy groping, making sure that growth means a ladder to opportunity for everyone, regardless of background, regardless of zip code. That's what Connecticut's all about. Doug McCrory, wait up, Doug, always likes to remind me. He likes to remind me the talent is widely distributed, but opportunity not so much. Well, my fiscal priorities are economic growth because growth is the precondition to economic opportunity. We have 100,000 jobs right now going begging in our state. Why is that? One, a smaller share of our workforce of working age is working. Two, our population is growing, but it's growing too slowly. And three, many of these unfilled jobs require extra training. All right, so what are we gonna do about that? We've done a lot together. We're making it easier for people to get back to work. A workplace that meets the needs of a young family, paid family and medical leave, expanded childcare, paid sick days. These initiatives help young families get back to work and stay at work. Two, we've got a minimum wage that keeps pace with inflation. Work should pay more. and We're providing you the skills you need to take that higher paying next job. Career Connect will set you up with the skills and virtually a guaranteed job which is your next rung on the ladder to opportunity. And that new job is the start of a career, and that career may give you the experience and the confidence to start your own business. So thank you for passing the Small Business Boost Fund that has invested so far in over 100 new and expanding companies. 100. And most of these businesses are led by women and entrepreneurs of color, right in the community. Look, I spent 30 years in business and I see opportunity through a lens of starting small businesses and helping them grow. But innovation doesn't begin and end in the private sector. And I want all of our commissioners and state employees to be empowered to innovate as well. We rely too much on subsidies instead of innovation to provide better service at less cost. In my office, our team has heard me say over and over, stop pouring money into a leaky bucket. Fix the bucket and put the money to work. We can keep spending hundreds of millions of dollars to patch up those old bridges where the trains and the trucks have to slow down to cross safely, or we can rebuild the choke points in our transportation system to help you get to and from work faster and safer. I'm headed off to New London in about 10 minutes to meet Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg, the band formerly known as Mayor Pete. They awarded a big grants to four states. Connecticut one one of the four states. $158 million grant to Connecticut to rebuild the old Gold Star Bridge. Rebuild it. That's what I call structural reform. And we still have $1 billion, almost $1 billion, in federal money right now to invest in education. Thank you, Secretary Cardona.
President Biden stole him away, but he'll be back. <laughs> and he knows all too well that education is that ladder to opportunity. So I urge all of our superintendents and principals and teachers, we've got the resources. Let's implement your best ideas to help students recover from learning loss. Let's get them loving to learn again with apprentice and career opportunities to put them on the path to success. All right. We have high health care costs, high energy costs, high housing costs. But the answer can't always be more subsidies or bailouts. The taxpayers can't afford it. And too often, a subsidy is an excuse for no structural reform. Deirdre Gifford and her health care cabinet will continue to make health care more accessible and more affordable. And I love the recently announced partnership between UConn and Connecticut Innovations and Hartford HealthCare to jointly identify and invest in the next generation of healthcare companies and life-saving treatments. Come on, insurance companies. Don't just pass along those hospital and pharma costs. Let's reward patients and companies who seek treatment where they get the best quality and the best value. And come on, electric companies. Don't just tell me you're passing along those high natural gas prices at the ratepayer. Oh, and can you subsidize it just a little bit more? Let's get together. We've already got control over our energy supply. So Putin and the Saudis don't have control over our destiny and our wallets. We've made a good start, thanks to you, by expanding our wind power, extending our nuclear power, pushing hard to get access to Quebec Hydro, and making our homes more efficient. That's less cost and carbon free. But the biggest slam in our beautiful state to affordability and economic growth is housing, or the lack thereof. Every business thinking about moving or expanding repeats to me over and over again, even if I have the workforce, there's no place for them to live. And the answer can't simply be more subsidies. Connecticut towns and cities, here's the deal. You tell us where developers can build more housing. Tell us where you want to build. It can be built faster, built at less cost, pre-zoned, and local control will determine how and where it is built. What do you think, Sayla? <laughs> That's our future. Our future is more local businesses, more housing options in your downtown, walk to work, or take public faster public transit. And you know what that means? You've heard me say it over and over again. I don't owe more taxes, but I don't mind more taxpayers. More taxpayers guarantee a bigger economic pie that lets us keep the progress in progressive. The next generation in Connecticut is all about opportunity. And that opportunity starts with economic growth. Fiscal stability is the foundation to inclusive growth. In 2017, the legislature put in place the fiscal guardrails that have allowed us to honestly balance our budget four years in a row. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Along the way, we paid down billions in pension debt, which our predecessors put on the state's credit card. And we're honoring our commitments to teachers and state employees, reducing costs to taxpayers for the next generation. And we still have a long way to go. It also means that thanks to our collective efforts, the era of Connecticut's permanent fiscal crisis is over.
It's over. It's over. It's over as long as we maintain the same fiscal discipline that served us so well over the last four years. And after many years of unfilled promises, now is the time to enact a meaningful middle-class tax cut. A meaningful tax cut. That's a reduction in tax rates which, take, which the state can afford and makes your life more affordable. All right, so Connecticut is moving from rescue to recovery, investing in our future, in your future, starting with good paying jobs and allowing you to keep more of what you earn. So on election night, I was looking at Steve Karnacki's election maps, remember, and saw the red was getting redder and the blue was getting bluer. I think here in Connecticut was a little different. It's not every day that New Canaan and New Britain vote the same way. <laughs> that the suburbs and the cities are complementary, not competitive, is a sign that Connecticut is working together as one. Take notice, Washington. So, if you make it over to the inaugural bash this evening, why don't you go to a party like a liberated governor just had a birthday? Let your hair down. I want to see a little foot loose on the dance floor. <laughs> maybe with somebody you don't know, but you maybe see around the building every once in a while you want to get to know. And uh, I did this four years ago. Thank you for the opportunity to do it again. But after the inaugural four years ago, I did get about 10,000 tweets saying, Governor, never dance in public again. <laughs> but it's my party. I'll dance if I want to. God bless the dancing state of Connecticut. The dancing state of Connecticut. So that's what the governor had to say, but what about some of the local legislators? We start with Greg Howard, Republican state representative for the 43rd district, and finish with state senator Kathy Austin. Coming into my second term, I think one of the biggest things is sort of the unfinished business, you know, whereas in 2021, you know, I came in with new ideas and then, you know, I've been working now there for two years, so trying to get some things across the finish line. One thing that immediately pops to mind is, uh, in the 2021 session, you know, to police accountability, the consent searches. We ran a bipartisan bill on judiciary um, for consent searches of vehicles that got uh, amended in the Senate uh, out uh, of that bill. So, um, you know, myself and some of my colleagues on the side of the aisle have agreed, you know, we got to continue to work on that to get that back uh, forward. So that's that. Um, some other things, you know, some tweaking legislation that we've already passed, um, you know, jumping to my public safety committee, you know, ranking member spot. We're working on the new accident form that, that is in Connecticut. We used to have a two-page accident form. We've gone to a 12-page accident form, which is really bogging down the police officer's work, and we just don't think it's necessary. So we put a working group together for that. Uh, we're supposed to hear from them very soon, and hopefully we can make some arrangements and, and adjustments on that. Over in public safety, we continue to work on mental health surrounding, you know, police officers um, themselves and their response to it. So we have, you know, different task force that are coming back with some information that we could move forward on. And over in judiciary, you know, I hear from my colleagues, um, you know, in my regular job as a police officer at the court and from police chiefs, there's concerns over the amount of workload of the new uh, risk protection orders has caused for police officers. And we're working on trying to figure out a way to accomplish 
catch, if you if you will, for mental health and access to firearms that was intended as part of that in a more streamlined fashion, uh, would still making sure that the individual's right uh, is not so infringed that they don't have an appeal process or some sort of legal process by which they end up, you know, ineligible to possess firearms. So it's, it's a little into the weeds and it's something that we're working on. I got a recent assignment to the education committee. I have a lot of education initiatives, some that I started in 2021 surrounding inefficient use of time. I've heard from a lot of my teachers that, that they don't feel that the uh, state testing that we do is necessary. Not a great measure of, of academic success or aptitude. And they find themselves teaching to the test. Uh, they feel like they're being, you know, judged upon that and they're getting too far away from what they were trained to do or what they wanted to do in their field, you know, looking to put a task force together on that. So that's something I'm going to try to push in education. I have a number of priorities, so I'm still looking at mental health. And broadly, we just had a report come out on the mental health of the inmate population. So I'm, I'm looking at implementing some of the recommendations in that report. I'm looking at one that I've been working on with a number of constituents in eastern Connecticut, getting rid of the cap on pensions, annuities, and Social Security, which is capped at 75000 for a single person and 100000 for a couple. And after that, it's a cliff where they get no relief on income taxes. And so I'd like to get rid of that completely. And if not, get rid of it completely, graduate it. I'm looking at funding excess costs and school lunch as a policy in every school system and working on that. I have one uh, issue that I've been working on for a number of years, and that is a method related to trafficking, uh, human trafficking, which is to disband the use of hourly rates in hotels and motels. A number of policies working on relative to the nonprofits to make sure that they're funded correctly. There are social safety nets for those uh, most vulnerable people, those with mental health, issues, those with intellectual or developmental disabilities, and so those are a, a number of things that I'm working on. I'll be the chair of appropriations again, and I'll be working with Representative Howard in public safety. I'll be the vice chair of public safety, and I sit on a number of other committees, too, that I will be working on a number of issues, transportation, veterans, legislative management, regulations review, and general law all have different tenants of bills that I will be working on. I'm looking at hemp providers who also provide recreational marijuana. It's a policy that I've been looking at in order to stabilize that hemp industry. So those are a number of things that I'm working on. Got deer problems? Let us help. With Green Valley Tree LLC's Deer Preventive Spray, guaranteed to keep deer away from your precious plants, bushes, and trees for up to six months. With cold weather on its way, deer will be looking for sources of food. Don't let your front and backyards become their pantry. Call Green Valley Tree today at 860-234-4041 or visit us at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines this week. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg was in southeastern Connecticut recently to announce a $158 million grant to the state under President Biden's Bipartisan Infrastructure Laws Competitive Bridge Investment Program. The Gold Star Memorial Bridge that spans the Thames River connecting New London and Groton is one of four major bridge projects in the country to get the initial funding. Buttigieg said investment in infrastructure across the entire country is essential. That it's not just about the big iconic bridges like this. Just since the president signed that law, 
2,800 bridges around America have been put on the path to being improved or replaced. And this, in turn, of course, is part of the context of investment in all different kinds of infrastructure. The Gold Star Memorial Bridge carries more than 40,000 vehicles a day and due to its age and lack of maintenance has had to restrict the size and weight of certain vehicles crossing it. Buttigieg said there were a lot of other bids from across the nation looking for similar funding. There were 40 applications requesting $11 billion in funding. Four of them were successful. This one, Brent Spence Bridge in Ohio and Kentucky, where the president is, Chicago, where the vice president celebrating a network worker bridges that help connect goods all the way from the Great Lakes down to the Gulf of Mexico. Deputy Secretary and Infrastructure Coordinator Mitch Landrew are going to be in San Francisco where the Golden Gate Bridge needs to be rehabilitated to make it stronger in the face of earthquakes. The Gold Star Memorial Bridge is the longest bridge in Connecticut and the North Bridge was built during World War II. It's considered one of the essential bridges in the state, allowing goods and the nation's supply chain to move quickly through the Northeast. The money will help to strengthen the bridge and replace the decking and in total the project will cost around $402 million, which includes the $158 million grant and is expected to complete in the fall of 2029. 911 emergency dispatch centres in Connecticut are using game-changing technology to help with emergency calls. 14 centres across the state are using a new system called Prepared 911 Live, which allows them to harness the power of mobile phones. Michael Chime is the CEO and co-founder of Prepared and said emergency centres were set up to deal with calls from landlines. But today, over 80% of emergency calls come from mobile phones, which have capabilities their software can use. This is almost a radio to TV type shift where now you have all this rich data in the form of visuals that a 911 telecommunicator can see in real time. So as opposed to them just trying to sift through what's happening in that emergency, basically by a game of telephone, audio is the only input. We now let them use the caller's camera to see what's happening. And they can also text pictures, text pre-recorded videos, and we can pull their audio. Callers to an emergency center using the new system must give permission for a video call to be started. Matt Kassiri is a sergeant with New London Police Department who have just started using the new system in their dispatch center and says the technology can help them deal with many different emergency situations in new ways, especially when it comes to domestic violence calls. This allows us to either use text messaging or video for us to see what's going on. That way, while we're responding to the location, we have a better idea of what's going on. We can also have that eye that we've never had into the situation prior to us arriving there. Any video or data sent during the call is recorded and can be used by law enforcement in the event of a criminal or legal case. And an associate professor of anthropology from Eastern Connecticut State University has won a National Science Foundation grant to conduct an archaeological study of the largest indigenous city in North America from medieval times. Sarah Bidas will be the principal investigator at Cahokia, which is based in southern Illinois and a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and says she hopes the study will help our understanding of why people moved from small farms and created what we think of today as modern cities. But also also thinking about Cahokia's role in the global context. Like this isn't just like something unique to be thinking about in the continent of North America, but really this is about a question about humanity and, and why we as human beings throughout history across the globe have 
congregated ourselves and moved ourselves away from these isolated farming communities into urban environments. The multi-year study will also look at the collapse of the city, which was a metropolis from roughly 1000 AD to 1400 AD, when major European cities like London and Paris were developing and had a population of 20,000 people. Bidas says it will be a great opportunity for students from Eastern to be part of this historic study, looking at how urban cities were created here in the US and globally. Field schools are about six weeks and students enroll in them as a class so they get class credit and then as a team we work together and complete these excavations and they're very much a part of the research process which is what's so exciting and in the past I've had students who've gone on to present their research at national conferences. The study will also use a combination of non-invasive high-tech to scan structural remains beneath the ground as well as traditional archaeology processes of excavation to help build a picture of life in the ancient city. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>